You are listening to Ace Comicals. I'm Greg Driver. I'm joined by Rahul Johnny and Leon Everett. Let's go! everybody and welcome to Ace Comicals episode 115 and today we are joined by special guest Dan McDade. Hello. Hello yes so last episode uh, we reviewed the excellent Daga and upon talking about it we thought there was probably more to dive into and say and we thought it might be fun to bring you a fuller conversation and a little bit of a deep dive into the cogs and gears of the book. In the meantime we were also contacted by creator, artist and writer Dan McDade. And uh, what better way there is to deep dive a comic than to do it with the creator themselves. So Dan um, very graciously agreed to join us uh, for this episode and have a little bit of a chat with us. So uh, Dan, how are you doing today? I'm very well. I am, as a a resident of Scotland, I'm extremely buoyed up by yesterday's results. The uh, (laughs) UEFA Euro 2020 result is excellent. It is is a terrific day for Italy and Scotland. (laughs) And a a truly miserable day for England, which is just just the icing on the cake, really. (laughs) Oh, it's just delicious. (laughs) It's so good. (laughs) Tastes like gelato. Yeah, it does. It really does. The air just seems that bit fresher and crisper. I mean, it's... I'm on cloud nine, really. <laughs> you just, uh, you woke up this morning, threw your windows open and you were just took a yeah. big deep breath. I love yeah. the smell of meatballs in the morning, you know. Oh yeah, I didn't, yeah, I yeah. didn't uh, get out of bed. I leapt out of bed. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yes! <laughs> Another beautiful morning. <laughs> so yeah, I'm good. I'm very well. We're, um, although we're english we're we're very much in the same sort of boat as you as far as this is concerned so yeah 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 as you can probably tell from my accent i'm not like a native scot i've just gone i've just gone native i've gone very i'm sitting here (laughs) at the moment in my uh kilt and tam o'shanta uh with a a heaping pile of um haggis and heroin uh Uh, so you know what I mean? So that's I've gone very native. And that's that's I was a little bit worried. I went I went around to see the game at a friend's house and I was walking home and I was I was very happy and I was whistling Ness and Dorma, you know, that's fine. <laughs> and I was walking back and I was slightly worried that someone was gonna accost me and they would hear my English accent and I would be beaten up and accosted and mocked <laughs> for the failure of my, my my English brothers, but ugh, never mind. It didn't happen, it was fine. <laughs> yeah. Um unrest on the streets of london but oh really uh, nasty stuff yeah yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. right really really unpleasant yeah like i don't want to dwell on it but like no one hates the english quite like the english my god oh yeah yeah we're unreal yeah. man absolutely we do it to ourselves we really do yeah yeah totally totally <clears throat> um i saw a lot of the sort of abuse that uh like uh, rashford and saka were getting online last night it was all english people that was abusing them it wasn't yeah. like italians or mm-hmm. scottish people uh causing trouble it was all just s- supposed fans of the yeah. team, fans of the sport, just ridiculous, just ugly behaviour. No need for it. Anyway, exactly. Horrible, horrible contingent of fans out there that just yeah. spoil it for themselves and everyone else. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Absolutely right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but we're here to talk about comics. Oh, yeah, so let's do that. That's a good idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Some, some good, something happy. So, yeah, um, 
yeah, so I guess we'll just begin with some little bit of introduction stuff. So, um, damn it, Dave, you have uh, you are the creator for Dega, which is the graphic novel we discussed last time. There's also a couple of other things um, that you've done that I've read. Um, you've got plenty of other work out there. The ones that I'm chiefly familiar with are things like uh, Judge Dread, uh, Mega mm-hmm. City Zero. And uh, the fearsome Doctor Fang, which is a wonderful adventure comic, and it's loads of fun. Um, if I was going to describe it for listeners that may not have read it, it's somewhere in between the Wild Wild West and Indiana Jones. Mm, yeah, I would with a, maybe a sort of a, a dash of like the shadow in there as well. I think, but yeah, yeah definitely, yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. Um, and it, it has this kind of like really great um, adventure comic feel, and. Um, yeah, there's just um, so like across your other works and things like that, like um, what kind of what kind of stories do you enjoy and what inspires you as a writer and an artist in comics? What are your kind of like touchstones comics wise and story wise? Um, what do uh, in terms of the scripts that I enjoy getting, I think this the sort of uh, cop out answer is always like a good story, but it really kind of depends on the mood. Um, so like. With something like Dr. Fang, um, Dr. Fang, I didn't want to take on Dr. Fang at once, at, at first rather, because I had, I had done uh, Big Trouble in, in Little China for Boom, and that has a very kind of similar tone, like a sort of uh, light, freewheeling book with a sort of slightly kind of Asian and exotic sort of feel. Um, and I didn't want to kind of repeat myself. Uh, but then I'd also just done uh, Dread, and they offered me at first kind of a gritty book, another uh, a Western book called Seven Deadly Sins. And I really, really, like, that, was, that would have been great, and I would have had a lot of fun with it. But I didn't want to do that because I felt like I'd really scratched that itch, and I was really... Um, I, I really wanted something kind of different. So I ended up doing Dr. Fang because it was, it was more, it was completely in the opposite direction. It was completely um, uh, kind of like pulpy and OTT and had a sort of kind of like spoke of a kind of rich inky pulp tradition that I was really in the mood to kind of tackle. So in terms of like what attracts me to a project is always, it's almost always what didn't I just do? What didn't I just work on? So having just come off Firefly, I want to do something that has a completely different vibe um mainly so i don't get bored and mainly so i don't find myself um right repeating myself you know um and in terms of like sort of influences and that kind of thing it's uh sort of guys like kirby i think kirby's a very sort of prominent one and then um uh, frank miller will eisner um increasingly quite a few sort of manga and european artists as well i think that's that's something you can really see very prominently in Dega. There's not a lot of Kirby in Dega. There's not a lot of Eisner in Dega, but there is quite a lot of, there's a touch of Mobius and uh, a touch of um, uh, Valerian and, and, and that kind of thing. So Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can see that a lot. And I was going to say actually in, um, especially in the Judge Dread work actually, mm-hmm. and um, a little in Dega as well with some of the hand lettering you do on the mm-hmm. onomatopoeia and things like that i can see touches of miller and and uh klaus johnson yeah. yeah yeah right yeah like definitely something like um ronin would have kind of loomed large over me when i was um uh when i was when i was writing and drawing dagger um but i guess that but i think also we me and miller were sort of probably influenced by the same guys and probably the L- lone wolf and cub uh writer and artist were the um were the kind of main influence particularly on Dega, you know, so. Yeah. Um, so like, um, do you have anything 
that you're reading at the moment that you particularly enjoy in comics wise any favorites no at all no, no i'm not no no <laughs> <laughs> i wonder how many creators say this i bet it's it's more than a few i i think if you had asked me sort of 10 years ago that same question i would have listed off loads of uh probably mostly dc books and maybe like kind of a handful of marvel books and then there comes a point, I guess, as you get older, and particularly as the kind of like the reboots keep coming down the pike and the events keep coming down the pike, you sort of lose interest and you sort of lose, or I have anyway, you sort of you miss an issue here and you miss an issue there, or you move house, say, and you end up yeah. throwing all your comics and you kind of look at them and go, well, this, these were all trash. <laughs> Why am I keeping up with these, you know? So at the moment, not very much. Um, I did just read an absolute ton of um, uh, the. Berserk, the manga Berserk. Yeah. And got very, very sort of invested in that. They're a very uh, Moorish and compelling read. I was reading them on my Kindle and I would finish one and I would see that the next one costs like £2.74 to buy. I'm like, that is a ridiculous low amount of money for such a like a dense quantity of work. So buy it immediately. <laughs> and just where I think I must have read about 18 volumes in the trot on the trot. And then he started kind of repeating himself a little bit. So I've taken a break from it. And at the moment, like, Oh, I, I'm also, I've just got this weird appetite for, you know, the, um, the old comic Superman's girlfriend, Lois Lane. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, that old comic, like, um, yeah, this, I know the one. Yeah. Yeah. This beautiful Kurt Schaffenberger artwork. And I'm sort of buying it for the artwork and the kind of, um, ridiculous domestic situations it's so sort of retrograde and out of date but so charming and so beautifully drawn you know um yeah yeah so that's what i'm reading i'm like desperately out of touch i guess berserk berserk is quite uh, is quite cutting edge but uh, other than that oh and one punch man i love one punch man and i'm just on the cusp of giving chainsaw man a go as well so that'll probably be next um yeah i mean i've, I've read berserk i don't know rahul well, if you ever read i've watched one punch man rahul have you ever read chainsaw man no that's, that's been on my list for quite a while although i only ever got i think about halfway through berserk as well so i should really revisit that yeah um i did get a fair way through that um i've not finished it but i've, I've got a fair way through it um so anything other than comics then that you're enjoying apart from the enormous slice of schadenfreude at watching <laughs> I really, no, no i have no answer to that other than i just really really enjoyed the football <laughs> yeah and um like lying around and watching daytime tv i'm sort of on um a bit of sabbatical at the moment i'm kind of between jobs um there's a lot of work a lot of follow-up work today that needs to be done because when i first put it on sale i sold it as part of a deluxe pack where i would do a sketch with every um with every order and uh about a month into that i really regretted it because the the just things like i'm not boasting here this is a real pain in my ass just a huge number of orders and a huge number of requests so i just ended up just slaving away drawing or like loving it like and, and the sketches look really nice and i'm really pleased with them and so on but um yeah it's like being it's like being at a convention for like two months you know and you have just, to sit and do yeah. all these commissions so yeah. any chance I get just to kind of sit and just to kind of sit and exist, just be <laughs> is, uh, is, is fine by me. You know, me and my missus are watching an old, uh, very campy TV show called heart to heart on Sony television. And we love that because it has very, it has very simple rhythms and very simple plots. 
uh, like you're all quite young as you get older you find that your brain gets um like rusty and stupid and doesn't want to play <laughs> ball anymore <laughs> and if you're not actually working uh you end up just like oh, i'll just do nothing <laughs> like there's a line in um seinfeld where jerry asks elaine like what you've been doing and she says i've been staring at the wall <laughs> she says, nothing else no just staring <laughs> i really sympathize with that that's more or less what i've been doing so what so i mean we talked a little bit about your preferred work style um mm-hmm. you like good full scripts um and i think in a previous interview you've done with that i've listened to the one you did with um alien ratu um for yes was it borderless yeah um, yes, and you was. talk about you talk about how you prefer to work full script yes um and like um with dega you kind of you went off piste a little bit, didn't you? Because yes. I, I noticed in the notes on Dega, you went straight to like the thumbnails. Yes. And, and yes. how did that, like, how did you manage that? Like with, um, well, the, the idea with Dega, um, this is going to sound sort of vaguely preposterous, but Dega kind of came to me in a dream. The name of Dega came to me in a dream and, and the vague sort of outline of it, though it did change over time, came to me in a dream. And I was like, I could really see it in my mind's eye. I could see what the book looked like. I could see what I was going to try and say with it, what I was going to try and do with it. And I also very strongly felt that it was going to be short. I knew I wanted to be short. I, I, I was kind of between projects at the time. So I knew I didn't want to take on anything um, too main, major. I didn't want to take on anything that would involve like a huge cast of characters or a lot of uh, world building or anything like that. Because I knew that at some point another job would come down the pike and I wouldn't have time to finish Dega. So I wanted to do something very kind of small and compact. So to that end, I didn't want to write a full script. There's another element at play here, and that is that in my experience, whenever I've tried to write something for myself, as soon as I sit down to write it, as soon as I sit down to kind of type out a script, um, it kind of robs it, particularly if you're doing a comic, it kind of robs it of its sort of urgency and its potency, and it sits there on the screen looking kind of dead and over-prepared and over-rehearsed and inert, and it doesn't, it doesn't come alive. So I was trying to decide how could I, um, how could I fix that problem? How could I kind of shortcut my way around that? So what I did was, as you can see in the sort of back matter is I did just, I, I, I wrote, drew it at the same time. So I, um, I had a vague idea. I plotted out in my head, very, very short, neat plot. And then I, I came to sit down and, uh, and, and draw, write it at the same time. So thumbnails with little notes for dialogue and so on. And that worked so well. I think I turned those thumbnails around in about four days. And as soon as you've got those thumbnails done, that's the book done. That's effectively the book done. Everything else is just um, skating downhill. It's just it's just going to happen by itself. Um, and the great thing is that once you've got all that worked out, you've got all the visuals worked out, and you've got um, the broad visual flow worked out, everything else you add to it is kind of gravy and extra little bits of detailing and extra sort of touches. And it makes the whole process... Uh, it makes it flow a lot more. It makes it more uh, elastic and it makes it more fun. Yeah. I mean, um, just like broadly talking here, cause we're, we're, we're guess we're into Dega now. So we might, we'll just go on, carry on with Dega. Okay. Um, broadly talking here, you have this like awesome ink brush sort of stroke style. That's like really analog and warm. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, you'd like to draw, like you've mentioned in previous interviews, you like to draw gnarly stuff like uh, mm. maximalist things with tons of detail like how 
uh, you really do apply this here with Dago and what, what attracts you to that style, to that, to the gnarliness, I suppose. Um, the kind of almost sensual pleasure of applying ink to a page, I think really, I, 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 <laughs> it's, it's true. I like, uh, I like ink. I mean, so I like penciling yeah. fairly well. Um, but I really do love inking and I love to, to do the majority of my drawing, um, with the ink. And I find that when I'm working on uh, kind of corporate IP, if I'm working for, for money effectively, I kind of tense up and I kind of overthink it. And, and I don't feel like I'm really sort of properly expressing myself. And I don't feel like the work is quite all it could be. And with Dager, I really wanted to, to try something that I thought that there would be no risk of it going wrong. Cause I'd always planned to sort of self publish it. And there was no risk of anyone kind of looking and going, like the proportions are wrong or I don't know what's going on here or, you know what I mean? So I could be very, I could be quite abstruse and um, I could just sort of have fun. And I think when you sort of see that, I think if you compare it particularly to my, maybe not Judge Dredd, I think there's quite a lot of that kind of like gnarly texture in Judge Dredd because I really loved Judge Dredd and I really had a strong sense of what I wanted that to be like. Uh, but if you kind of look at my other work, maybe even if you look at something like Dr. Fang, no, Dr. Fang's not a great example either. I think if you maybe look at my DC work or some of my other boom work, you'll see that it's not quite like that. It doesn't quite have that sense of kind of like real sort of richness and de density and texture, partly because I'm working on a deadline and partly because I've got the fear. Yeah. Um, the fear of them looking at it and, and saying that this is off-piste. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. right. The fear of it being kind of too experimental or and really fear of it not working. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't, it wouldn't matter if, so, if it's something I did on, on Dega didn't work, who cares? It doesn't matter. You know, at, at the end of the day, once it's out there, what I found is that people will look at the stuff that doesn't work and they will kind of come up with theories of their own to make it work because it's a kind of an artistic piece. Yeah. It's a piece that invites the reader to meet it sort of halfway. Yeah. Uh, and things that like, like don't work or are wrong, people will sort of tell themselves and I, I do this as well people tell themselves well that's deliberate you know that's that's yeah. deliberately kind of uh, opaque or that's um deliberately sort of ott or something like that and good yeah. that's that's why i want that's that's art to me that's when you kind of cross the the barrier from making just um a, a fun bit of something to something kind of artistic i think and, and i think that was what attracted me to it as a reader actually mm. speaking like because i think when I sort of stumbled across it and I was telling these two, these two here, like Ray and, and Leon about it. And I was, I was saying, you guys got to check this out um, mm. with it, with it being like, you know, it, it just, it just didn't really fit. I couldn't pigeonhole it anywhere or, or even because it just, it was relatively short. It has its mm -hmm. own, um, its own rhythm and its own texture. And it's, um, it's like relatively like, it doesn't, it doesn't sit within, the constraints of what people consider to be standard for a comic book size wise and things like that. I mean, I know yeah. there are a lot of broader page things and it particularly mm. with British published stuff like 2008, yeah. things like that. But, um, it really does stand out for that. And, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm, uh, yeah, it wasn't my idea to do it in that, uh, sort of size originally. I, I'm not sure exactly what I had in mind. I think I maybe thought it would look, it would be manga size originally. And I also toyed with the idea of the sort of, the battling boy, you know, that Paul Pope book, that the battling boy look. And I kicked yeah. around a few ideas, even having it just as kind of a zine, like a zine style. And if my partners said, no, you should really make it like a beautiful object. You should really make it something people really want to treasure. Um, 
and that led me to going down the hardback route. And then the first one arrived, and I was just the first like printed copy, the hard copy, and I was just knocked out. I couldn't believe it. It really felt like the first thing I'd ever published. Do you know what I mean? It had that sense yeah. of um, wow, like real scale, and like look at it, look at this, look at it. it. Really sort of vibrates, you know. So I was I was very very pleased with that. Yeah. Um, upon the opening of Dega, like one question I've got: Are you a um, are you a Kate Bush fan? I am. I think my partner is more. My partner, it's a good question, and I have to be careful about this because I have used a bit of one of her songs. <laughs> I have to be clear to Kate Bush and her recording company. I've made no profit from this. <laughs> it's more than stock back into the company. Um, yeah, I am. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my partner is more so, but I am as well. Yeah. But the, the main inspiration for it was a song called. It's by Utah Saints, and it's called name of it's gone out of my head um but it is it uses a sample from um uh, cloud bursting by kate bush uh something good it's called something good and i remember yeah. i bought that um i bought that single from i think the creativity is like this sometimes it's a sort of a confluence of lots of different kind of elements that all kind of fortuitously come together at the same time and one one element lifts another element up and you kind of get this feeling of a rising wave um, and i remember i'd had this vague idea for a um a, a comic in my mind and I went to the record shop uh, in town and I bought the um the single the um vinyl single of something good by Utah Saints which is from like I don't know 1991 or something and I put it on I've not heard it in years and we put, I put it on the record player and it just fucking blew my head off I'm like oh I've got to use this I felt so like like juiced up by it and so that's why that's on the um not only on the front page but like a kind of a a, a, a musical motif that runs through the whole book yeah the the song that she's is kind of hearing yeah, constantly that that's right. has yeah. Yeah. constantly as we go through yeah um i also kind of say slightly pinched it from i don't know if you've seen battlestar galactica um i haven't I think, leon you've watched it haven't you i have many times yes yeah, yeah, yeah there's um there's a there's a they use um all along the watchtower yeah um and that I, I don't I didn't consciously do that, but I think it, it was definitely in my unconscious mind. This idea of uh, a piece of music that shouldn't be there. What's it got to do with the story? How is it in this timeline? It's uh, it's an anomaly. And I remember getting so excited when I saw that in in Battlestar. And I hope this has some of the same effect, the same kind of excitingly incongruous effect. Yeah, I think yeah. it does. I think what it um, what it did in Battlestar, what it does here, is that it, it gives like it. it sort of changes pop culture into something sort of more mythic and ethereal. And I yeah. think that's why All Along the Watchtower worked so well there. And yeah, yeah. the way how you intersperse it with the actual thing going, things happening like with the laser and uh, it all gels together in that like mythic yeah. feel. Yeah, I agree with that. But I also think the other thing it does is it weirdly kind of grounds it. It puts it into into a, a sort of an understandable bracket. Like you kind of go, oh, I know that song. I get that. And then suddenly you, you're kind of, it's a, almost a shortcut way to kind of get you and the reader onto the same vibration. Like, I really like this song. I really like this lyric. You will too. And you know what I mean? And so then we'll come together and we'll enjoy this, this book together in the same place. Boy, this is so pretentious. I'm really sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I can't love talk it. about it in a pretentious way. I apologize. No, we love this sort of stuff. It's, I mean, it's the kind of thing that I actively seek out when I'm reading yeah. comics. Like, if I see song lyrics in there, I'm like, I go looking for the song yeah. or I Google the lyrics. If I'm not, if I don't immediately know the song, I Google the lyrics and then, and then I'll add it to a Spotify playlist and things. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. So it's fun for me. 
<laughs> that was fun for me too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so like it's this whole thing um, with Dega. So like you mentioned that it came to you in a dream and then mm-hmm. you had this moment with the vinyl record. So mm. is that, like where the whole influence for Dega come from. Cause I'm getting, I get little bits of like eighties um, animation from it as well. You know, things like Ulysses 31. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, yeah. 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 This kind of like, yeah. Absolutely. yeah. Um, it, well, it just, it just ended up being like, I wanted to do something that had a specifically manga flavor. There's two phases to the, to the production of Dega. The first chunk I did back in 2015, that's when I did like the lion's share of the the book. And it was very specific to kind of what I was into at the time and what I was feeling at the time. I just read a book called Samurai Executioner uh, by the Lone Wolf and Cub guys. I'm going to try and pronounce it. Kazuo Koiki and Goseki Kojima, right? Uh, and I was so struck by, I'd, I'd, I'd obviously read Lone, Lone Wolf and Cub before, but I was so struck by the way in Samurai Executioner, the lines would kind of fly off the page and there was a sort of a sense of um, the the Inca, the artist rather, attacking the page, attacking the page with ink. And I, I was really kind of moved by that and really kind of struck by how exciting that was. And I really wanted to do something like that as well. Like, I think as well, having worked in corporate IP for so long, I think the book I had just finished before then was like Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. And I'd reached a point where I felt kind of straitjacketed and stifled. And I really wanted to attack the page i wanted that feeling of attacking a page and and maybe risking the, the possibility of kind of getting it wrong but if you detect manga influences in there it is probably from samurai executioner but the second phase this is the thing is that it took me it was supposed to be a very short project that would take about three months to do top to tail and instead it took like five years i, I think i said that in the book it takes but it took yeah. about five years to make because i had i stopped and i had to go and do other things and like paying work came down and Every like every couple of weeks, I would say to my missus or I would say to my friends, I've really got to finish Dega. Or people would say to me, have you finished Dega? Like, no, I haven't. And it would just kind of like hang over me. And I knew it would make a difference. I knew as soon as I did it, it would be, it wasn't like, I didn't expect it to be huge, but I expected that it would, it would be like a calling card of sorts and it would change people's perception of what I could do. But I kept putting it off and I kept putting it off and I kept taking on uh, what Ed Piscor is pleased to call jobber work. I find that so patronizing and annoying, but it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> So I would take on these jobs yeah. and it would put it, put it back. But what happened this year, of course, was the pandemic. And so I suddenly found myself with time to kind of finish it and, 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 and color it and, and design the book and so on. Uh, and so the cover, the cover, I think this is what I'm getting around to here. The cover was done very recently. It wasn't done five years ago, six years ago. It was done this year, or late last year. And it has a different vibe. And, and when I ended up drawing it, you compare it to, um, uh, Ulysses 31, but to me, it really like mysterious cities, mysterious cities of gold. Do you remember that? I can see that too. Yeah. I can. Yeah. Remember. Like that look on her face, it really looked like Esteban from mysterious cities of gold. And that I was like, yeah, this is the vibe I want. I wanted that kind of like yeah. sense of, I want her to really look like a child. And I want that sense of like nostalgic childlike wonder. And I think the cover has that. Yeah, it is. It is rooted in nostalgia when, when yeah. I flip through it and I'm, I'm getting all these like cartoons that I used to watch as a kid. Yeah. Um, and definitely, yeah, I can see it. Yeah, uh, it is a great cover, actually. I love it. I love, I love the, um, and I love the use of color through the first half of the book as well. Mm. Like, yeah, it's like really beautiful. Like, what was the, the like? 
is there a, the artistic decision to sort of like go black and white at a certain point and it fades um, off well it doesn't just go does it it's like yeah no the the kayfabe answer is uh, yeah that was definitely deliberate and an artistic decision uh, the real answer was that i i had colored half the book and i knew that if i i probably shouldn't say this because i'm slightly spoiling the mystique but that if i if i sat down and spent time coloring the rest of the book I'd never get it finished. I'd never get it published. And there was a real, I think, finally, a sort of sense of urgency to get it done. And also, I was on the horns of a, a dilemma because I really liked the black and white pages. I really liked the color pages. And I really liked how it looked, looked in black and white. So I kind of thought, can I get away with this? You know the way in manga, like the, sometimes you read a manga and the first six pages or so are in color and the rest yeah. is in black and white. Can I get away with it on that level? And I don't quite think I do, but I'm still very pleased with it. <laughs> I think... I think it because it because the whole thing has this like really sort of like vivid nightmare quality to it. Sometimes yes. when you're reading yes. it, I think I think it comes it came across to me when I was thinking about it the fact that it goes from color to black and white. Yeah, and and this is one of those death of the author things I think. But it's like me looking at it thinking, oh, um, it's kind of like a it, it just complete it just adds another sort of layer to the dreamlike quality of it. it yeah, right. There's, there's, a, yeah. there's a film called DOA with um, Dennis Quaid, and that's right. quite that uses a similar kind of device in quite a clever way. Like he's essentially poisoned at the beginning. He's either poisoned or shot. I can't remember. And then as the film goes on, the, it's a color film, but the color slowly drains out of it. And by the end of the film, it's a black and white film. And I've always really loved that device. And I kind of thought it would work here. So I, I, I think I turned adversity somewhat in my favor here because the last page is color. And I think it represents her kind of bottoming out and but then being reborn. And I think you get that, you get that flavor at the end. Yeah. I really, um, I really love that answer. I have to say, because like, as somebody who struggles to finish projects, I think that's a really important point to note is like what thing is going to stop me or harm me from yes. actually getting my thing yes. out there in the world. And like, as Greg said, like you can have a, uh, you can have a death of the author thing and like it elevate, it can be more than the sum of its parts. And like, I think mm -hmm. it really worked for me. And, I, and it, it, if anything, it makes it better to hear the real world concerns yes. that, you know, that influence that. It's, it's but that's I, I, absolutely right. I think, um, if you know yourself, you have to kind of know yourself as a creator and you have to kind of know what obstacles will put you in a complete deadlock and you mm. have to know what you have to come up with management strategies to kind of um, overcome those or to push them aside. And that's what I did here. Uh, and then put in a few little kind of like tweaks and little bits of detail. Like I would color occasional panel here and, or color an occasional panel there to create the impression. <laughs> God, this is so cynical. <laughs> to create the impression it was all on purpose. It was all by design. <laughs> I'm a hack, guys. I'm nothing but a hack. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it, it comes down to the thing, like only you can decide what is finished because you're the person yeah. that created it. So yeah. in, and if you say it's finished and put it out there, someone, somebody like us three, we're going to pick it up and we're going to go, oh, this is really cool how this works. Yeah, that's so, right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that's the, um, I think that's the nature of art. You, you put it out there and it may be broken and it may be incomplete. But once you put it out there, that's it. It's no longer down to you what people think of it. It's down to, it, that's right, the death of the author is exactly right. It's down to the viewer. It's down to the reader. And they will decide. And, and then it turns from a, um, from a statement into a conversation. Yes. And... Uh, so, like, if we just sort of talk about the narrative a little bit, like the disconnected mm -hmm. and jarring nature of, like, the way time flows in the book and, yeah. like, everything to do with, like, the, the time travel and the memories and the sort of, like, 
there's this kind of like underlying through line of dementia. Mm-hmm. And in, oh, that's in, a great observation. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Yeah. And um, um, sorry. Yeah. Carry on. No, no, go on, go on. No, I was going to say like the, the sort of way that it goes through with like the, the shattered nature of reality and the way the memories mm. ebb and flow and things like that. And was that kind of intentional? Uh, yeah. 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 It was intentional, but it was also instinctive. It's, 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 it's kind of the way the story came out, but because I always wanted it to be um, short and somewhat opaque um, by, by the nature of that intention, it, it sort of has to have these, um, it's these kind of broken bits that don't add up or yeah. Yeah. It has to kind of still kind of leave these questions and yeah. And I also wanted to, because it came to me a dream, I wanted to have a slightly not dream logic, but like lapsing from one kind of um, mode into another. So like one minute she's, she's adorned in these black feathers and that sort of white face mask and she's walking past the WH Smith. I thought that also, that would be funny as well to put in something really British, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, but even that is from a dream to some extent. I have this, I, I, I don't know if you guys have this, but I know other people do have this. They have this kind of internal dream landscape. And in my internal dream landscape, there are towns I go back to. There are cities I visit. And they're all the same. They're always consistent across every dream. And there are train stations that I go to. So I, it, like, again, in my dreams, like completely, and I'm late for a train or I've just missed a train or something like that. Um, so I wanted to kind of put that in. I really wanted people to vibe with it on a kind of subconscious level. I was kind of hoping that other people's subconscious minds would vibe in the same same way as mine. And I think from the feedback that I've got, it more or less has worked out that way. Yeah, definitely. From, yeah. from where I'm sitting, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like this idea of like visual variants of anachronisms, like you were saying, mm. like things not quite adding up. Like um, this might might be a deep cut, maybe not, but like it reminded me of this film, Waking Life, that is one of the first things that I watched when I was getting into like wanky movie um, mm-hmm. reviews and stuff, you know. And like mm-hmm. it's it's uh, it's all like a rotoscoped movie, and I had a bunch of different artists working on the rotoscoping, so like the the, yeah. the style shifted occasionally. It brought to mind that. Yeah. Yeah, like as as I wanted the vibe to change, so my uh, my approach would change. Um, but again, I wasn't overthinking it that much. It was it was an, an instinctive process, more or less. Once I'd worked, like, like I said earlier on, once I'd worked out the kind of broad narrative flow of the book, I just kind of let the brush go where it takes me. Again, that's a really wanky answer, and I apologise. <laughs> it's very pretentious. That's but, a great answer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, just let the, I just let the brush go where it takes me, man. I don't even. I'm such a genius. I don't even have to think about it that much, you know. <laughs> I mean, because that was going to be a follow-up question, which is now you've eradicated. Because I was going to ask, like, did you have particular touch points that you wanted to, um, like, to hit to make a point of like this is different from that? But I guess, I guess you didn't. It sounds like it was more oh. holistic. Or, uh, yeah, that's right. I think holistic is a good word. Um, and the thing is as well, like I've kind of talked this up in a fairly sort of uh, like pretentious way, but there is a part of me that did also want to tell, almost, this is going to sound nuts, an almost fairly straightforward narrative. Like all the clues to what the story is actually about, to what is happening in the story are there. And there's one huge clue that almost no one has picked up on. Like it's really, I, I'm not, I'm not going to spoil it, but it's really, really right in your face. And it kind of reveals the whole story. And um very few people have kind of picked up on it, but I'm delighted by that. As it turns out that that is, that has made a, a more, a more profound experience for people when they're reading it because they can bring their own interpretation. Like I heard your interpretation of it on the, um, on the last podcast. I thought that was wonderful. The idea of a kind of a wormhole in the mind. And it's actually a better idea than the one that I did. <laughs> I <was> like, That's <laughs> awesome. I wish I thought of that. Um, but 
That was great. Like, and then hearing you talking about how it's a kind of a, um, a metaphor for uh, dementia. Yeah, man, that is that's that's awesome. You know, that that really really pleases me. So I'm reluctant to kind of unpack the, the storyline too much because people will just go, "Oh, it's just that." You know, you know the film The Prestige, <laughs> where it has that old trick, rubbish. <laughs> like, oh, that's a shame. <laughs> I think it, it comes. It definitely comes over like the the metaphor for dementia thing. It's the fact that you know when she's I do the checks. Yeah. And then, yeah, that's, you know, it's, it's one of those things like, what can I remember? What can't I remember? How old am I? Yeah. Oh yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. yeah that's, that's, that's definitely yeah. one interpretation. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I bloody love that. I think that is fantastic. It, it means that it has, and you, like as an artist, you can't really ask for more than this. It has developed a new life in people's brains that you didn't even intend. And like, I wanted to do essentially a pulp story in an artistic way. And what has happened instead is I think I've accidentally made some actual art that people like respond to in a, in a, in a very kind of cool and subconscious way. And that's, that's incredibly exciting. Well, that's, that's it. Everyone is going to look at it. Like if you imagine it as like this kind of 3d object, everyone's going to see a different facet of it. Yeah. From a different angle. Yeah. yeah. Um, like, so one of the things I was going to pick up on, what I did pick up on as well is in, again like going back to a previous interview you did with with for borderless mm-hmm. um you talked about a book um was it dc comics presents 29 with superman and the specter i don't think that was me was it me maybe it was oh it was me yes yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. oh yeah i love that comic my god yeah yeah yes, well, i was the very one you're talking about i i went and tra- i went and, and found that comic um Hell after, yeah. after the uh after after i listened to that interview and i checked it out yeah. it was a great comic that those oh, the jim stalin art and like lem wine's writing it's just absolutely perfect yeah. but, it's unreal is there is there some kind of connection between that and dega because i can kind of see a little bit in in like the the whole kind of like cosmic the cosmicness of it yeah 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 you know i i don't think directly but i think that that comic really made an impression on me when i read it as a very like young boy, I think I must have probably read it when I was like six or seven, something like that, maybe even younger. It was reprinted in this country in a nice hardback uh, annual, DC annual, with a beautiful Brian Bolland cover. And yeah, I don't. I think that 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 story really got under my skin and has never really um, left me. So I don't think it's a direct connection. Yeah, but it's never far from my thoughts. And that sense of kind of touching the sort of touching the infinite as Superman does in that story and touching the kind of the boundaries of reality and those boundaries, the boundary of reality, these encounters, in fact, the boundary with our reality, with our sort of, I hate to come over all Grant Morrison here, but it's our reality that he's almost touching with the real divine God who, who yeah. speaks to him, you know, yeah. it is, uh, it's a, it's a really, really like, um, it's a, it's an uncanny and unreal moment. And it's never, it's, it's never left me. I don't think I'm sort of getting shivers thinking about it now, you know, it is powerful. Um, it's powerful. It is story. powerful. Yeah, when you look at yeah. it on the page. And, um, yeah. and it's the sort of comic that really put me off um, DC Comics for about 20 years because I'm just like, they're too weird. They're too dark and scary and I don't like them. Like by contrast, Marvel's at the time, Marvel still at the time has that John Romita look, that John Romita Sr. look, has that open lines and and everyone looks really, really attractive. Um, and 
Yeah, you know, the more I think about it, the more I think you're onto something there, because I'm thinking about the artwork as well. That's slightly, like a lot of people worked on that, uh, on the art for that. And I think it was quite late. Like, I think it won, it's credited to many hands at one point, like the inking is, because obviously it was yeah. late and a lot of people had to kind of muck in uh, to get it out on time. And I think it, there is there is something there. I'm going to have to reread it, because I think you've hit, hit on something there. <laughs> cool. Yeah, no, it's, it's, yeah, it's, a, it's a great book. And I just couldn't, like, because I, I I'm I'm a sucker for like anything sort of like Bronze Age or anything like yeah, Silver yeah. Age anyway because yeah, that's just yeah. my jam like I love like the old horror comics and stuff and then as soon as you mentioned this one I thought I had to check it out because it's got Len Wayne on it and Jim Starlin mm. yeah and it's just yeah it's I can I couldn't shake the connection when I was looking at no. that and then looking at Dager again so yeah oh, I love it that's terrific I think that has to be somewhere in its um and it's makeup, definitely, and Dega's makeup. That is such a good that that period, that Bronze Age period, just before the crisis. I love it. There is the it's so fecund and weird and like kind of out of date. Um, but it's 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 DC's trying to find its way in the marketplace and trying it, trying lots of different things. And you've, it, it feels doomed because we know what what's coming. We know that in 1986, it's all going to get wiped away by the crisis, and there's going to be a new continuity. And John Byrne and the Marvel lot are going to come in and basically revamp the whole thing, redecorate the entire Marvel uni- uh, DC universe rather. Yeah. Um, so it gives this feeling that it's doomed. It's extra doomed. It's oh, it's, it's brilliant. Um, I mean, there is. I say there is something really grubby and black back alley about some of it as well. It's like, yeah, 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 yeah. definitely. It it doesn't yeah. really know what it is. And it's a lot of people who seem somewhat underpaid having to churn out. And by that point, the, the continuity has got so is has gone on for so long and it's so kind of mired and complex and, and muddy that it is, um, it's, it's the, the comics are terrible, but they're terrible in this really wonderful kind of thrilling kind of gripping way. That particular one, the, the, DC Comics presents. God, it's uh, it's so good. It's uh, the scale of it. Like when he's using his um, telescope vision to see the distant um, war world, the war world off in the distance, and the rockets taking off, and then the rockets come towards them, and they're enormous. They're the size of a city. Oh, it's brilliant. Bloody love comics, man. <laughs> I mean, just superb. Nothing yeah, yeah, yeah. It really isn't. <laughs> no, <it> really, <laughs> yeah, they're really kind of gripping your gripping your balls. You know, like there's really really nothing like it like it's a very it's such an intimate experience reading a comic book i mean even i think even more than playing a video game i think it used to be that you could say i think i probably said this in podcasts before but it used to be that the one thing you could say that um, comics had over like uh, films and tv shows and video games and so on was that their budget was limitless and now the budget of film is effectively limitless and the imagination is unfettered by anything but i think the one thing comics still has is intimacy which is not mm. something you get from anything any anything else that kind of uh, novels i guess probably as well but because as a yeah. reader when you're reading a comic you kind of dictate the pace you dictate yeah right right and it's just you and the yeah. page and by necessity you have to kind of hold it close to your face and it doesn't give you all the answers so you have to kind of meet it kind of halfway and that immediately creates a relationship between you and the work and yeah that's that's the i think that is the sort of hidden value of comics that i, I think is somewhat unaddressed um uh, talking about uh berserk uh, berserk what an incredible like berserk is a very heady brew and i couldn't recommend it to everybody and i think it is um sort of sexist perverted gratuitous and in its way sort of appalling but um it is also such a kind of intimate and immediate experience reading it you really just feel clicked in with the characters and clicked in with that vibe and that's with a black and white comic as well 
So it isn't kind of handing you everything on a plate. You have to meet it halfway. Anyway, sorry, I'm rabbiting on there. No, no, it's fine. <laughs> Carry on. Really good of you to come on the ch- come on the cast. Actually, and it was really my nice God. of you to send us those books. That's absolutely my pleasure. I hope you. Enjoy- I know you've enjoyed yeah. them. And I hope uh, Rahul and um, Leon enjoy them as well. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm loving the book, man. Super grateful. Like the the hardback thing, it, it has a nice feel in the hands. Yeah. No, I definitely think I made the right decision with that in the end. I was really pleased with how it how it looked and and. The, how it felt really yeah yes thank you very much i really appreciate it uh it's, it's beautiful like uh, when you were saying about how your you know your partner was pushing you to make it something beautiful like as i get older i really want to curate my collection and like keep right. things that i can't necessarily recommit time to but like would be nourished to reopen it and read a few pages and i think dega really satisfies like comics in general really satisfy that but this is this is going to take pride of place on my shelf so thank you oh how lovely thank you very much I was going to ask you, uh, like, back to the WH Smith thing and the London Tube Station. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an innate horror, isn't there, to London Tube Stations? Yes. Yes. And uh, it comes over in this. And it's just, it, I mean, like, more so now in the days of the pandemic, because you're underground yeah. in a close proximity with everyone else. But, like, the whole, like, I mean, these two mutants here, these these, these two live in London. And I don't know how they do it and use... <laughs> I don't know how they do it, and I don't know how they use the public transport down there. No, awful, awful. Yeah, I lived in I lived in London for about a year. I I, I used to visit London a lot because I lived a lot more kind of locally to it. Uh, but then eventually uh, moved there with my partner, and um, it's a I bloody love London. It's it's fantastic, but it is also a nightmare. And the tubes, particularly if you have to commute, oh, it's just hell. It's just you can't even describe how bad it is. It's just it's such a drain. This it's work before you even go to work. You know. So, yeah, no, I'm feeling that, definitely. Anyway, go on, you're going to ask about yeah. the bit. Yeah, so in, in the book, um, when we sort of like the idea of them going underground and then like the tube station symbols popping up and things like that and the WH Smith yeah. and the, the sort of dream about the tube station, yeah. like when I'm in London and I have to use the tube station, I'm going down into this underground space and it mm. smells of stale air and you've got all this gnarly like building and electronics above you and whatever, yeah, like cables yeah. running and things like that. It yeah, just, yeah, 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 totally, you've, yeah. You've really hit that in the book. Yeah. Is what I was going to say, like this this horror of the tube station that I only thought I thought about. Yeah. But obviously it's something universal, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. I think it is, the, there's no other real environment in it like it in the entire world. It, it, it's so, it is so surreal and aggressive and loud and then if there's that's when there are people there and if there's no one there it's surreal and eerie and unquiet you know and it, it, there is and then there's these uh doors that go nowhere and tube stations that don't exist anymore and the whole thing is just <laughs> an incredibly uh unsettling um potent um environment yeah definitely and i think with the um there's a bit near the end of that sequence. I'm, I'm very, I'm very pleased with that sequence. I don't really entirely know what it means. I don't really entirely know how it kind of clicks with the rest of the narrative. I think she's just having a kind of a, fu- she's in a fugue state, so her mind is kind of wandering through um, time and space there. But there's a bit where the train comes out of the tunnel, and um, it, it sort of taps into the sort of the slight fear that I've always had about that, about that, about that train screeching out of the dark, the noise it makes even before you see it. The noise it makes, and then it, and then when it appears, how monstrous that is! And then you look around at everyone, at everyone else, and they're all they all do it every day, so they don't care, and that makes it worse. Why are you Why are you not frightened? Why aren't we running away from this? You know? 
yeah, because it is just a horrible, horrible noise. Oh, it is, it is. It is. And then you see this thing coming at you, and it's so it's so powerful and potentially deadly. It's like, why are we doing this to ourselves? This is not <laughs> right. This isn't right. You know, <laughs> we're all mad. <laughs> I mean, like, as sorry, Ray, I was going to say, as someone who's desensitized to it, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, okay, so I was going to say, like, uh, if you asked me five years or like 10 years ago when I moved to London, I would have said I was energized by all of that. Like I used yeah. to get excited by the idea of the commute and like using it as time to read and all of that. But yeah. uh, since since the pandemic hit, like I've not been on the tube for a year and a half. And I actually did go on on transport a couple of weeks ago for the first time in ages. And like this page, this the page you just described where she's like holding her, holding her ears because that that you know, the, the screeching roar coming in from the train. Yeah. Like, that that really hit me, because, like, that's exactly how I felt a couple of weeks ago, where I was, like, just terrified yeah. of being there, and, like, yeah, all this, yeah. this noise and stuff that I was somehow accustomed to, like, a year ago, yeah. but just kind of need to get back, like, used to it again. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that's really effective. Yeah. Um, thank you. The, um, the other thing that I should say about the London Underground is that I also find it, like, uh, wonderful, and, like, an engineering miracle, and and like if you're having a night on the town, like if you if you're used to living in the sticks, which is kind of where I live now, like I live in a city, but it's a small city. Um, and then you visit London, it's a miracle. You just hop on the train and you get off the train and you're freaking miles away from where you started. It's like, this is incredible. That took seconds. You know, so there is this and I've I've definitely been in London drunk and just felt like, ah, oh, the tube station is mine. I am the king of the tube station, you know. <laughs> um but there is always still that uh that kind of child childish sort of panic about um a, a big mon, a huge angry monster, kind of hiding in the dark, screaming out at you. Yeah, I think um, the thing I remember a lot is like it's a man-made monster. Like I always marvel yeah. at how roads are created, and like yeah, uh, yeah. I just, I'm just fascinated by the idea that like I couldn't comprehend this on my own. It's taken like you know hundreds and thousands of teams of people to make this right. happen over a hundred yep. years, and like it boggles my mind. I can't even begin to think how that one tunnel started and then propagated outwards. That's exactly right. Who had this yeah. idea? Who had this idea and how did it come about and how does it work so well? You know what I mean? It should be, by any reasonable metric, it should be a disaster, you know, mm. but yeah, but it works beautifully. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so like I was just going to go on to um, the idea, well, with, with you publishing your own work, Dr. Inc and, and publishing your own work mm. versus working with us. Like, I mean, like how, how does that feel? Does that, I, I bet it feels great, right? Getting to publish your own work, having more control over the content, more artistic freedom. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Um, what I was thinking, I was sort of thinking about this the other day that um, I, I received an offer of work and my impulse was immediately to say yes. My impulse is always to say yes. But I'm having to kind of, I'm starting to kind of second guess that a little bit as I get I get older. And I have to, I, want, I need to, in my mind, uh, to make a division between work that I'm potentially excited about and just being excited to be asked to dance. Do you know what I mean? Like being asked yeah. to participate in something is so flattering. The temptation is just to kind of, just to go for everything, go for everything you're offered because it's, oh, wow, you considered me. And what I want to do more and more is kind of, um, as I put it to my to my partner, um, bet on myself, take more gambles on myself, take more gambles on doing my own work. Um, Dega, working on Dega was an absolute joy from start to finish, like working on my own thing, making all the decisions from beginning to end, just, just wonderful. And, and also being able knowing that I could make, I could change something late in the day if I wanted to, I didn't really do very much of that, but having the freedom to do that was really nice. I can't really describe it. It's, it's, um, 
it's it is magic making something from and then looking at it when you've made it you really feel like you've um you've done something there are a lot of pleasures to being part of a, a collaborative process there's a nice feeling of um if you draw a page from a script that you enjoyed and you hand that off to the colorist and the colorist comes back and the colors are lovely you're just like wow that's lovely so every single phase of that is in its way a, a small pleasure um but doing the whole thing yourself is uh, there is nothing to compare to it i do think it is it probably is the way forward for me personally but i think for creators in general i think artists i've got this sort of theory but i think artists should get rid of get writers out of their lives and start writing for themselves and making their own stuff be a, don't be an artist be a cartoonist be a creator you know and um obviously stepping into the different roles as well like being your own letterer and being your own editor i bet that was hard wasn't it being your own editor having to um, what makes it and what doesn't or was there not really a uh, no not that not in this instance because it was such a short form project so there wasn't a lot of uh, like uh, it's a funny thing my memory of the of the uh, production process was that it was a very straightforward i came up with the idea it came to me in a dream and i drew it up and then that was it it was ready to go but if i look back through my notes now i, I put loads of notes in Evernote and I was looking through them going, what the hell was all this? There were all these additional little bits and pieces and other characters and another, uh, another thing. I mean, I think at one point it was, it was a, she was going to be an Android that that was, the, that was sort of a twist. And, and obviously I, I didn't think that was kind of good enough and I rejected it, but I, I can't remember having such an inane thought about it. So I guess I, by the time I'd got to um, the kind of scribbles you find at the back of the book, there was no more editing to be done. It was basically, it was that, and then it went straight, and it is, it is the book in the end. So there wasn't an awful lot of editing. Um, and as for the lettering, um, the lettering is actually a, a, a purchased font, but the thing that gives it the hand-lettered quality is that I hand-lettered the balloons. Um, so they have this sense of like the, the, the lettering really being a part of the artwork. There's something I really, really, there are a lot of great letterers working in the industry at the moment, but some something I really hate that I see sometimes is this feeling that the letters are sort of hovering over the art and aren't integrated into the art and don't feel like like a piece of it. And they should. They should always feel kind of like part of the flow of the page. I don't want that sort of separation. I want them to be kind of... I hand-lettered all of the uh, effects. That's all done by hand. Yeah. But in yeah. terms of the lettering, that's a that's a font. But do, do you draw your own speech bubbles. And the other great thing about drawing your own speech bubbles is that you're obliterating a lot of the background work that you have to do. You just draw a great big bubble. And that's it. Suddenly you don't have to draw that building. You don't have to draw you know, whatever, yeah. all this background crap. Because <laughs> so. I guess I guess you can you can plan that into, if you're doing the whole process start to finish, you can plan right. in where you're going to put the speech bubbles, can't you? Exactly right. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And what I would do is I would, um, I would write the dialogue in on the page. Because I, I, about halfway through, I think I, I was considering doing the whole thing actually fully hand-lettered. And I do quite like it. And I think my hand-lettering is quite good. But ultimately, there were benefits to going with a digital uh, font, not least of which being if it ever gets translated into other uh, other languages, it's just a matter of sending them that file. And they can, do you know what I mean? And then they can just run that through yeah. and they yeah, and they can just translate it like really, really quickly. As opposed to someone will have to go in and, you know, erase all of my scribble and you know so i i really like um the hand i do like the hand lettered on the matter I've, I've, um, <clears throat> and i really like the hand lettering on the alien language as well oh yeah yeah that was the one part where i couldn't do it as a font it had to be uh, it had to be scribbles you know yeah i'm quite pleased with that i'm quite pleased with those aliens overall they're sort of 
They're real scum. I like that one of them has a dog. I might be pleased with that. <laughs> a monstrous dog on a lead, you know. Is, is he holding it by its eye? Has he pulled one of its eyes out and I, dragging I, it along? If, if you like. <laughs> it, looks, it looks like it's been dragged along more. by one of its many eyes. Like, you know. <laughs> yeah, if you like. But the art, the, the, I assure you, the author is quite dead. So if you, if you want to use that eye, it's absolutely fine. <laughs> And the, um, yeah, I was going to get onto the monster designs at some point, actually, because it's like this real kind of like, especially like the big, the big beast in the, in the cave. Yeah. It's like real kind of like, um, Lovecraftian quality to it. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, like cos- cosmic horror, like completely, uh, especially, and also with, with the aliens towards the end when she's, uh, having sort of seeing the, um, if it's a flashback, it's a flashback. Um, when she's uh, <laughs> when she's like seeing uh, the the other alien race, yeah, at the end, and the designs for them, they're they're kind of like really abstract and cool as well. Yeah, right. Yeah, and I wanted there to be sort of a visual connection between those aliens she sees at the end, the very tall behemoth, the titans that she sees, and the state that she's in when she's in the um, in her dreamscape when she's in the the tunnel. Uh, they've got the same sort of like smooth sort of skulls and a kind of a rough of what looks like it might be feathers or it might be fur kind of around their neck. So I wanted there to be kind of a visual connection there. Um, but yeah, they were really fun to do. I didn't design anything beforehand. I kind of, when it came time, when I was doing the thumbnailing, I just, I would just block in like a vague idea of what I wanted there. And then when it came to the page, I was like, yeah, let's just go nuts and, and let's and let's have some fun. And also not to make it too rehearsed, which goes back to what I was saying earlier on, that let the let the um imaginative process just sort of like take hold, you know. Yeah, and it it really does work. I, I do like the fact that the heads kind of just like float above yes. the rest of the body. Yeah, yeah. they're not connected, yeah. 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 It's it's really cool for that. Um so I guess I could just ask you, can we expect any more self-published work? Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. The only, the only yeah. problem is, I, yeah, it was such a joy. I, I would just, I would recommend it to anyone. What I really want is for um, Rishi Sunak to send me more money so I can just do it. <laughs> I, got that, I got the nice uh, red Rishi bonus uh, last year because um, I was broke and I didn't, uh, you know, I hadn't really had any work that year because of the, because of the uh, pandemic. And God, what a difference that makes having that money, that the sort of freedom that comes with that. Oh, thank God I can plan something fun and I don't have to leap from job to job hoping you know that I, I don't botch it up and hoping that i get paid and so on um but yeah i think i might kickstart uh, the next one i do have something in mind i've had something in my sort of back pocket for a while that is sort of like smoldering away and um my partner who's sort of like the brains of the operation really uh sort of like you really need to do this now um I'm like, okay, yeah, you're right i probably do so i think i've got another project lined up first i think i'm doing something with z2 um uh, Z2, a publishing company, and that is a more collaborative thing. But after that, I think I'm probably going to try and find a way just to be doing this for the rest of my life and try and find a way to make that pay because it'll be the same sort of um, kind of format as day. It'll be like a nice hardback, it'll be a beautiful object, it'll be something that you can sort of um, treasure and enjoy and put up in pride of place. <laughs> I like to imagine. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I'll be, I'll be properly looking forward to that then. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I'll, uh, I'll, I'll be keeping keeping my Instagram for that because that's that's something I'm going to want having yeah. the back of this definitely, and um, uh, Z Z two they're the people that do the music comics right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I I know the Blondie book. Yeah. 
yeah yeah they're really cool yeah no they are quite cool publishers we are still sort of at the early i've done some design work for this um so we are still kind of at an early stage but i think there's a script in hand now and I've, excuse me, I think it's nearly time to kind of uh, go, kind of get cracking with that. But it's going to be weird. It's going to be weird going back to being um, uh, the sort of desk jockey, <laughs> you know, just uh, drawing for pay. I mean, that it, like I said earlier on, it is fun. And this is a bit different to just like a kind of bland sort of corporate comic. There's a lot of scope for imagination and uh, um, risk-taking. So, But really, in my heart of hearts, it is more Dega is definitely like I've even got vague ideas for like a, a Dega prequel, like vague ideas for like a sort of four page prologue that I would just kind of give away for free and maybe hand out a thought bubble. So I've got sort of vague thoughts in that direction as well. I was, I was going to ask about that, but I didn't, I didn't want to like sound too trite by asking, is there going to be any more in the vein of Dega? Um, I guess you answered that for me without me having to ask. So yeah, yeah, I, 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 I don't know. It, originally, it was de- it was definitely like, oh, that's it, that's the be all and end all. I don't want that to. I don't want to. I don't want to gild the lily. There is a part of me that wants to sort of like uh, double dip on the money I've made by doing uh, like a Dega uh, complete edition, which is full color throughout and has a prologue at the beginning to entice people to buy it twice. But <laughs> I, can't, I don't know if I can do myself to do that. It's so cynical. So, um, but. Yeah, I do have do sort of have vague kind of thoughts in that direction, so I wouldn't discount yeah. it entirely. Yeah, no, that would be it. Would be cool to see more because I I I like this world you've created, and I fully mm. enjoyed going through the book. And it, it would be it would be nice to see more of it in from from yeah. my perspective. That's and it's it it is a really really wonderful book, and I thoroughly enjoyed it start to finish. Enjoyed the digital edition. Enjoyed the hardback even more. Mm. And um, yeah, I'm just, I'm really, really pleased actually that we managed to get you on the cast to talk about it. So it's been a delight. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much for joining us. I just, I, just before I go, I just want to say that like I was, um, I was beaming from ear to ear when I read your review of it. It was so, um, it was so sort of incisive and enthusiastic and it really is, uh, it's been very encouraging. So. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> um it's 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 it, this is like i say this is our little zine of a cast it's a hobby thing yeah. for us um and it, it comics is is like my sort of like big thing um mm-hmm. much much to my girlfriend's chagrin <laughs> uh, she's she's given me one room and that's that's the room where i'm allowed to keep my comics so good she's now. done the right thing i think <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> But that's that's my thing, and she she accepts it and understands it now. I get omnibus yes. editions for Christmas and things like that. So, yeah, that's right. I, I was it was a bit of a shocker for me when I realised that my missus wasn't really into comics all that much, but she's no, she's just but she has allowed me to completely like the living room is an absolute disgrace. Like from here, I can see three He-Man figures. Uh, an Optimus Primal, a Captain America. Like it's just stupid. It's like, and if we have guests around, I'm just like. I'm so friggin' embarrassed. <laughs> oh, this I should is, really this hide all this shit away. <laughs> I'm I'm allowed to have my um my my DVDs downstairs, so I've all got right, like right. yeah, I've got my Batman animated Blu-rays down there and things oh, like nice. that. But I'm yeah, not yeah. I'm not allowed to have anything else. All my Transformers <laughs> and everything else, it's all in this in this room. Very sensible, man. <laughs> yeah, Debs keeps trying to buy me like shelving units from my room, and she's like, "Wouldn't these look nice on a shelving unit in your room?" I'm like, "No, Debs, they look good in the living room." <laughs> you know, it's my life. 
Yeah, so there you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so thank you very much for joining us. A and, pleasure. Uh, yeah, thank, thanks for coming on the cast and thanks for coming on and discussing Daigle with us. It's been great. Yes. Um, and uh, that has been Ace Comicals episode 115. So you can find us in all the usual places, uh, www.acecomicals.com. Um, you can find us wherever you find your podcasts, Spotify, etc. cetera. Um, interact with us on Twitter, which is where we're most active. That's at Ace Comicals. Um, Dan, where can we find you? And have you got anything you want to plug? I've nothing I want to plug except Daigo. If you haven't bought Daigo yet, please buy it. It is really good. Um, uh, you can find me on my t- truly awful Twitter account. Really, is the content on there is so bad. Uh, but that's Dan McDade uh, at Dan McDade on um, uh, on Twitter. I'm also Dan McDade Art on Instagram. If you want to hear less leather and you want to just see my, my drawings and. Um, and I have a blog, but no one cares about blogs anymore. And I've got a Tumblr, but Tumblr's dead. So it's really just Instagram and Twitter. You can find me there. Or you can email me. I don't care if you email me. It's not a problem. Uh, you can email me, danmcdade at yahoo.co.uk. Don't send me any porn. <laughs> uh, Ray, where can we find you? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter, at monkey, M-O-O-N-K-E-H. Don't send me porn either. <laughs> I was going to say, what are your rules on porn? <laughs> and Leon, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at Leon Everett, and if you want to send me porn, go for it. <laughs> Quite right. Quite right, Leon. Quite right. <laughs> <Leon>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, you find me on Twitter under at Bato. That's B-A-T-T-O-U. So that has been Ace Comicals. Over and out.